all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today, I have my friend, Dr. Ha Fan Own with us. She is one of our pharmacists in our MedPeds clinic, and she also works with the endocrinology clinic as well. And so she is here today, and we're going to be talking about different medications, and we're going to talk about any questions that you may have. So good morning, Dr. Fan. Thanks for coming on with us today. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Good. So I thought today would be um, a good time to just kind of talk about just medications in general, because I feel like a lot of people have questions about their medicines. Um, I wanted to kind of focus on over-the-counter medicines, because that's something that I feel like people go into the pharmacy and may get a little overwhelmed. And Mm -hmm. if you're listening out there, you may have high blood pressure, you may have diabetes, or maybe you have some other conditions, and you're wondering, well, is it safe for me to take these medicines? How much of this can I take? Um, You know, just different things like that. Maybe get a little bit into some, like, vitamins and supplements, but really kind of focus more just, like, on over-the-counter medications. Um, and then, you know, we were going to always talk about hyper, high blood pressure, too, and hypertension because I feel like that's another medicine, a class of medicines that a lot of people have questions about. Um, could my blood pressure medicine be doing this? Or what do I need to look for, for with my blood pressure medicine? So kind of planning to talk about some of those medicines but if you have any questions about any of your medications that you take or maybe a supplement or any over-the-counter medicines give us a call because we would love to hear from you 1-877-MPB-RING that's 1-877-672-7464 so I was trying to think of a list of over-the-counter medicines, and it can get pretty extensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we kind of, like, we each made our own list, and they kind of overlap. So mm-hmm. we'll focus on some of the, the most common over-the-counter medications, um, and then we'll talk about when it would be okay to use some, when it's not okay to use them, and that kind of thing. So the first one I have are the pain relievers, because I feel like... That's a pretty big staple. Yeah. Um, and some people can be really scared of, like, just some Tylenol and Advil, but it's usually mm-hmm. safe for most people. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about Tylenol and Advil, because I feel like those are the most common ones. And then we can talk about some other other um, pain relievers as well. But yeah. um, so tell us the difference between Tylenol and Advil, just a basic difference. We don't yeah. have to go into a lot of details. Yeah, I think both of them, you can use them for pain. When I think of Tylenol versus Advil, um, uh, 
Advil is more in a category called NSAID. Um, I don't want to go too much into it, but it's uh, a category of medications that, you know, both of them can help with pain either way. So you can pick either one or the other, um, but they both can bring down your pain level, can bring down, um, especially for Tylenol, you can also use it for like a fever reducer. Um, And like when you're thinking about the two, I usually think that Tylenol can bring down your fever a little bit more. Um, But also before going into like the differences between the two, I guess how to select between the two, like when you're going through the aisles and you're trying to figure out like which Tylenol because there's 75 different ones (laughs) looking back at you. So I think um, so Tylenol is like the brand name and then there's always a generic name. So for Tylenol, that's acetaminophen. Um, So I think sometimes I would probably also get confused is like when you look at the back of the box, that's a good place to start to see like what you're picking up and like how does it relate to the brand name product. So what's the difference between brand and generic? Essentially not that much. It's just that it's probably a cheaper I was alter- say price. <laughs> a cheaper alternative. And then also um, it's the same ingredient. It's the same active ingredient, essentially. So you're not really doing yourself a disservice if you're picking up the generic versus the brand. Um, but yeah, so in terms of um, like uh, Advil, so there's also, you know, the generic of Advil as well. And that would do the same thing if you're looking for Advil. I think the biggest thing that I think about when picking between Tylenol and Advil is just making sure that you don't pick up many medications that work very similarly is what I run into. So let's say you go see Dr. McLeod and, you know, she gives you ibuprofen, but then you go to the pharmacy and then you also pick up like um, naproxen because you're like, oh, I have such bad pain or I'm just trying to relieve because I just don't feel good. So I think just really confiding or talking to the pharmacist that's at the pharmacy and just make sure that, hey, I picked this up from Dr. McLeod. Like, is it okay if I take this too? Um, is something that I want to make sure that we can go through those differences as well. But overall, I would say between Tylenol and um, Advil, I would say they both, they work slightly different in how they relieve inflammation and reduce fevers and all of that. But I would say they're still pretty similar in, in how they can help you with your fever and pain. And Advil is ibuprofen. That's mm-hmm. the generic for for Advil. Um, One thing I will say um, for kids, we try to hold off on ibuprofen or Advil. Motrin is what it is for kids, the brand name, until they're six months. So Tylenol is fine for the young babies. um, And then, but we try to wait on the ibuprofen or the Advil Motrin until six months. So that is something to make sure that we know about. Yeah, that's a good point too. If you want to, I don't know what you're comfortable with like sharing too, but in terms of dosing, for little babies like at least in our clinic like we have a whole list of like Uh weight based and all of that so I would just be careful especially I'm thinking about an experience that one of our coworkers had um with a a daycare in terms of giving um a dose to their child but just making sure that if you're gonna drop off like any Tylenol or ibuprofen to be given like make sure that you authorize like how much they weigh and what the doses would be that you're comfortable with and all of that yeah we have a sheet and a cheat sheet in clinic that we give to our parents that has Tylenol um uh, Motrin and Benadryl own it because those are three common medicines that you use for for little ones. So I'm sure your doctor out there probably has something similar that they could give you. The other thing about dosing is making sure you have the appropriate dosing. But a lot of times the label actually underdoses. Mm. 
um, which is a good thing because it, it's keeping your baby safe. But um, like a lot of times we'll have parents come in because they can't get their kids fever down. And then we talk to them about, you know, how much are you giving them? And when we actually correct it for the weight and not based off of what the bottle says, they're underdosing it a lot. So that's something to think about, too. So maybe if your kid got sick and they're having a fever and you've given them Tylenol and you're still having trouble breaking the fever, call your doctor, make sure we know the weight, because a lot of times we can make adjustments to the dose based off of their weight and potentially you may be underdosing them too. So Yeah, that just made me think of two things. So also thinking about um, one, that you have the appropriate measuring device, because yes. sometimes like things will say milliliter- milliliters or teaspoons or tablespoons, but we try to stick with milliliters, but just be careful that you have the right thing. Like if it's a cup or syringe to get, and usually the pharmacist will can give you the appropriate one if it's not in the box. So I think sometimes that might lead to errors, like when you have the wrong like cup or whatever and then also looking at the box because it says the like concentration that's in it so sometimes you might think oh i always give two milliliters but it's two milliliters of a different right concentration so just be careful with that it's particularly ibuprofen does that for kids they have two different ones they have infants and they have uh, children's Children's. and they're two different concentrations so you do have to be really careful with that Um, i was going to ask you a question if you're comfortable with like talking about it too is like how do you feel about parents that call them are like, hey, I can't get my fe- my kid's fe- fever down. What about I have, and they're over six months, what about I have Tylenol and ibuprofen? What do you usually tell yeah. them with that? No, that's a good question. So I usually tell people we ideally could space the Tylenol dosing every six hours and the um, ibuprofen dose every six hours. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of a long time. But if you alternate them, yep. then you can still give the baby something every three hours. So that's mm-hmm. kind of nice. So like, Say you start at 12 o'clock. So at 12 o'clock, you give Tylenol. At 3 o'clock, you could give some Advil or mm-hmm. Motrin. At 6 o'clock, you could give Tylenol again. At mm-hmm. 9 o'clock, you could give the Advil. So you're still getting something every three hours, mm-hmm. um, but it's not you're still spacing the Tylenol appropriately and you're still spacing the Advil appropriately. That's totally fine to do for a couple of days. Now, if you're yeah. having to do that more than two to three days, then you need to call somebody. <laughs> but yeah. if it, you know, if it's like a bad fever virus that's going around or teething, I feel yes. like that's another thing when teeth are coming in. Goodness, when my I was going to say, you're probably experiencing that right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, when those one-year molars about did us in. So <laughs> we were alternating Tylenol and Motrin um, for a couple of days while those broke through. So, you know, that that's definitely fine to alternate those. And you can do it every three hours, which is nice. So that way you're not really given a, a big break in between a dose of the medicine. Um, We've got a caller, and we have Alice, who is in Macomb. So good morning, Alice. What's going on? Good morning. I'm just hearing you talking about uh, Tylenol and Advil. What compares to a leave? I used to take a leave. Is anything wrong with a leave, or what's it compared to? Yeah, no, that's actually the next pain medicine I was going to talk about. So you you brought it on up. So perfect. So Aleve is in the same class as Advil. It's just a little bit kind of stronger medicine. The um, generic for that is naproxen. And so sometimes we will prescribe prescription strength naproxen. Um, I do that a fair amount, actually. And that's actually what I took after I had my babies. It's a pretty common pain medicine that we give. Um, But you can essentially, what we prescribe with naproxen, you can pretty much almost get over the counter Mm -hmm. with a leave. So a leave typically comes in 220 milligrams. 
Yeah. I think. And yeah. so you can essentially take two of those, and it's pretty much the same as the prescription strength naproxen, which is 500 milligrams. Mm-hmm. So Aleve is a oh, great well, medicine. Beautiful. Okay, you have. But I have arthritis on a lot of pain, too, and, and it has. Sometimes I take the muscle and back and muscle. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, okay. Is, uh, is that all right? Yeah. So I think the thing to think about that too is like when you um, look at the back of the box, just be careful and see what other things are in it because sometimes they'll be like back and you know they'll have different things like uh, naproxen like for um, flu and cold or whatever it may be. So just be careful that if it's just the only thing in there, um, then then you should be fine. I just wouldn't double up and also take. Um, the Advil or the Motrin. Since you're already taking the Aleve and the Naproxen, which is in the same family, I wouldn't take multiple medications that are in the same family and work very similarly. So that's a big thing. Oh, but I think you're okay to take um, your Naproxen for your um, arthritis. Yeah, no, ma'am. I don't take them both at the same time. I take the back and muscles for yeah. a little while. And yeah. yeah, and okay. I think that's okay whenever you're in pain to kind of alternate and um, take it every so often. The oh, other okay. the other thing I'll say about Aleve, Miss Alice, is that Aleve, since it is a little bit stronger than the Advil, it can upset your stomach a little bit more. Um, and so that's just one thing to think about is make sure that you're ta- uh, taking it with food. You want to make sure you eat some food with it. And if you are having to use it long term, you may want to think about getting in some kind of medicine to protect your stomach. Um, like oh, a... No. I'm sorry, but uh, I'm on the vitamin. I take vitamins, too. That's part of what's wrong with my stomach. I got a GI appointment only 20 weeks. Yeah, it definitely can. If you take a lot of those anti-inflammatories like Advil and Aleve, it can definitely upset your stomach. So make sure you take My hemorrhoids. I got something. I'm bad with hemorrhoids now. No, probably not. This is more the upper part of your stomach. And, you know, the hemorrhoids are like the lower part of your colon. This is more like people get like ulcers and worsening of their reflux. Those are the kind of symptoms. Oh, okay. Really, I'm glad he did put me on. I'm going to have him back to the question, but I'm glad I'm on. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we were able to help you. Well, thank you for calling. We appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, we've got John in Madison. Good morning, John. What's going on? Good morning. Uh, I, I take uh, NSAIDs for, sometimes for a headache, sometimes for arthritis, for a toe, arthritis in my toes. You know, some, we actually take Tylenol for sunburn. It's really effective at that. And I was just wondering if there was any rule of thumb of which type of pain or ache you've got or inflammation I would say for me, and, and you might feel differently, but when I, people ask me that, I would just say whatever works best for your pain and just make sure that you're not doubling up on things or taking too much within a 24-hour span because then I just want to make sure that your body has enough time to filter through all the medicine, really. So um, I wouldn't, I, I, if Tylenol works better for your sunburns or um, if something works better for your arthritis, I would, I would just use those in moderation. I mean, anecdotally, I would say what I see in patients is probably the anti-inflammatories, the NSAIDs, tend to work a little bit better for arthritis pain um, just because it does have that anti-inflammatory aspect to it. So, like, um, 
you know, knee pain, back pain, hip pain from arthritis, we're typically going to lean more towards like the Advil, the Aleve. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our prescription medicines like Mobic or Diclofenac, that tends to work a little bit better, just anecdotally what I see. Right. The problem we run into is a lot of our patients as they get older um, and they get arthritis problems, they also have other problems like kidney problems or they may have, like we were just talking about with our last caller, a history of ulcers in their stomach and they can't take those medicines. And in that case, we do have to rely on Tylenol um, and acetaminophen, which does work just fine. It's just I feel like more people tend to like the NSAIDs better for arthritis pain. Yeah. Um, but Tylenol does work just fine. It's just, you know, kind of depending on some of the other problems you have, um, if you can take the anti-inflammatories or not. Uh, the other, you mentioned headaches. Um, and probably the NSAIDs probably do work a little bit better for headaches. Actually, that is one of the recommendations for, like, migraine headaches is to go in and take one of the NSAIDs as soon as you feel the headache coming on. So I would say probably those work a little bit better, too. Um, for headaches, but Tylenol works too. Like Dr. Fran said, it's just kind of a patient preference. Um, but just in my experience, I feel like probably the anti-inflammatories work a little bit better for the arthritis and for the headaches. Okay. All right. Well, thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you for your call. We appreciate it. Um, you know, I mentioned that I do think a lot of the anti-inflammatories work probably a little bit better for arthritis, just from what I've seen in my patients. <clears throat> But you do have to be careful um, with those anti-inflammatories because we mentioned, you know, if you have an upset stomach, like ulcers, um, if you have kidney problems, you need to avoid those. Um, one other thing that Dr. Fan mentioned during the break and is very important is if you're in blood thinners, you got to be careful with those mm-hmm. as well. It's, you know, not recommended to be using those, particularly Coumadin or um, even some of our other ones like Eliquis, um, Zarelto, mm-hmm. sorry, yeah. had a little, a little blank right yeah. there. Pradaxa, yeah. any of those blood uh, blood thinner medicines, you need to be careful with those because theoretically it could interfere with the platelets, which mm-hmm. can make you more prone to bleeding. bleeding. Yep. So, um, so you got to just be careful with that. If you are in one of those blood thinners, that was one of the other things. And then just while to kind of wrap those up. Tylenol, you can take, you know, one of the things we worry about with Tylenol, if you take too much Tylenol, it could damage your liver. You got to take a pretty good bit of Tylenol for it to do that. Just, you know, first and foremost, just taking a a handful of Tylenols here and there is not going to cause liver damage. And if you have a history of liver problems, you can still take Tylenol. You just have to reduce it. So Mm -hmm. if you have a good, healthy liver, you can take up to 4,000 milligrams in a day. Um, which is a pretty good bit of Tylenol because even in the extra strength Tylenol, it's 500 milligrams. Mm -hmm. So you would need to take eight extra strength Tylenol in one day. So Mm -hmm. that's that's a lot of Tylenol that your body will tolerate. If you have a sick liver, so if you have a history of cirrhosis or liver cancer or any kind of liver problem, then you're going to want to reduce that to half to 2,000 milligrams for the day. So that still allows you to take for extra strength Tylenol. So, you know, that's that's still an okay option as well. So just a few things to kind of wrap up the, 
yeah. the pain relief. Can you think of anything else? Um, I was just thinking too, um, BC powder. Oh yeah, we actually <laughs> talked about that one last week. Okay, Jay, I was like, Jay said he liked BC powder last week. <laughs> I think it's just again being careful with what the contents are. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, I would because at first, honestly, when I first moved here, someone was like, "I take BC powder," and I was like, "I have no idea what that is." <laughs> so it took me a minute to be like, "What is this again?" So I think just being careful and looking up what the actual ingredients are and not doubling up on things especially if you have a sick liver or bad you know not the bad you know need healthier kidneys or anything like that um just yeah and i think the thing with like you mentioned before with being on coumadin or warfarin um you know tylenol is preferred if you need something to um like relieve a fever or reduce pain um and that's really the NSAIDs are the ones that we want to avoid because like you said it would increase our risk for bleeding so So now let's move to stomach medicines because I feel like this is another one that we get a lot of questions about. There's lots of different options out there, and which one do you need? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So I think the first thing is heartburn medicines because I think everybody at some point has experienced heartburn. Mm-hmm. Um, I never had heartburn until I was pregnant, and then as soon as I was, you know, had the baby, I haven't had any issues again. So, you know, there's certain seasons where it'll come and go. Um, A lot of times it tends to get a little bit worse as you get older, Um, and so you'll notice that a lot of uh, our older patients tend to have a little bit more problems with heartburn. Um, So it's just, you know, it's kind of like different times you're going to everybody at some point is going to experience heartburn Mm -hmm. and so what do you do about it um so it's a tubs yeah no yeah so that's what i was going to say so if you just are a person that kind of gets it randomly like like i only got it when i was pregnant you know what would you recommend just some tums so tell a little bit about what's the difference with tums and like how does it work i well honestly all of them they try to reduce like the amount of acid basically Mm -hmm in your um in your stomach i guess and the receptors that let out the acid it helps basically i guess like block those so that you're not letting out more acid right i feel like that was a very (laughs) in-depth um but i think ultimately it just reduces the acid um in terms of tums i guess something else to think about is like what is safe when you're pregnant to Mm -hmm. take so i think usually for us i would recommend tums i don't know if anyone ever recommended anything different but in terms of like thinking about the I don't want to say like stronger medicines, but like the proton pump inhibitors or PPIs um, and stuff like that for. I think you can take those like, in pregnancy, actually, yeah. but um, only it, I would only really take it if your reflux gets severe enough. If it's yeah. only like every now and then you get it, then Tums typically works Does pretty well. Yeah. I but, guess also like um, thinking about like famotidine or Pepsid. Mm hmm. Um, in terms of uh, medications that you can use for like acid or just reflux, um, so you could. Use, that's also over the counter. Um, there are like prescription strengths too, um, or available prescription strength, but that's also something that you can get over the counter. So I think in terms of how I think about it is like, if you have like baby gas, it, you know, you can use Tums every so often, and then you know if you need to be evaluated for more you could get some other options when right. you go um, yeah. to your doctor. I kind of think of it as like a like a pyramid, I guess. You remember um, the whole like food pyramid mm-hmm. we used to have? <laughs> um, but like at the bottom of the pyramid, you just have your basic like Tom's, Rolaids. That was always mm. my dad's favorite, Rolaids. <laughs> Ugh. Um, I just like when you have that nausea and heartburn, yeah. the last thing I wanted was like a minty kind of thing. Yeah. But 
anyway, he liked a Rolaid. So, you know, at the bottom of the pyramid, you have Rolaids, Toms. Kind of up next is the histamine blockers, like you mm-hmm. mentioned, like the Pepsid, Zantac, mm-hmm. um, Tagamint, yeah. I guess, yeah. is another one um, that you can get. You can all get all of those over the counter. And then kind of at the top of the pyramid is going to be your your proton pump inhibitors, like you mentioned, like the Omeprazole or Prilosec yes, or Nexium. Yeah. That some of those you can get over the counter at lower strengths. So since we're on this subject, and I feel like this is always a question, um, we've gotten some of this question on air, and I've gotten it some with my patients too. Because there's lots of information now about these proton pump inhibitors. Mm-hmm. So kind of long term, is it okay for people to stay on these medicines? Or like what do people need to be looking out for if they just have really bad reflux and we're still having to stay on these medicines? Yeah, that's tough. I feel like there are a couple of, st- uh, you know, a lot of literature out there now that's like, you know, limit the amount of uh, proton pump inhibitors that you use if you can. Um, so I think that's hard to say because I, I feel like every time I review a medication list, everybody's on a PPI. Um, <laughs> they <but> are. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like it's more like let, let's keep reevaluating if we need to keep being on it. So if there's something else that relieves, like if we can do some times, if we can do a H2 like famotidine, um, you know, try those first. And, it, you know, if all like if you really, really need it for an indication, then you go with the PPI that you can take at the lowest effective dose for you but i think long term that is something that i feel like at least for me as a pharmacist i get worried when people are on it for you know if they're otherwise okay 30 year old but they're on a ppi for the next 30 years just making sure that we reevaluate like their need for it and their that need for that strength right because sometimes people end up on it like twice a day before meals and then you know or they'll be like it doesn't even work for me and i'll be like okay well let's maybe we don't really need it and let's try something else yeah so i guess the moral of the story is it's okay for you to get those over the counter like the prolosec or the mm-hmm. nexium over the counter and use them for the short term but if you wind up having to use them a lot more than say two three four weeks then you need mm-hmm. to call your doctor and let them know yeah um, because you want to check and make sure something else isn't going on or do right. you need to see a gi doctor do you need to get a scope and see right. what's going on so yeah. so in the short term it's fine but if you're on it for a prolonged time your doctor needs to be aware of it i agree with that i guess the other thing i was thinking about when talking about gas is like gas x yeah so forgot about that and when we were talking about Tums and all that, but that, I kind of put that in the same category as Tums, mm-hmm. as Gas-X. But. And Gas-X is kind of a little different, though. It's like simethicone, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the same gas drops we use in babies. Yeah. So, um, so that means it's very safe if we're yes. going to let our two-week-olds take gas drops. We're, it's totally fine for you at you know, 60, 70 years old to take the gas drops as well. Um, but uh, they don't they're not a long-term solution again. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things that it's the same thing with your baby. If you're having to give your baby a lot of gas drops or you're having to take a lot of gas drops, then we probably need to figure out what's causing that. What yes. What is causing that abdominal discomfort? And you want to make sure you call your doctor and talk about that. I think that is just a big point in general, like for any of these, If and I know we kind of touched on it earlier with pain, but if we're taking any of these beyond the like two, three, four week range, we should probably consult and let someone else try to make sure that there isn't something else underlying going on. Um, I feel like that's the one thing from over the counters and pharmacy school is like, they're like, at what point should you tell them to call their doctor? So I think that's something just to make sure that we remind everyone of. Yeah. We mentioned the antacids like Tums, um, some of the gas medicines that have simethicone in them. 
so like gas X and those kind of things. And then kind of the next step would be the histamine blockers, which is like Pepsid, Zantac, Tagamint. Um, trying to think if there's any other ones. No, and Zantac, I don't think you can really get anymore because they had all those recalls. So it's really just Pepsid. Yeah, well, yeah. so Zantac apparently is back on the market now. Oh, wait, I think I know what you're talking about. But it's, it's something else. It's reformulated, I think. Fomotidine. Yeah, it's Pepsid. It's, it's still Fomotidine. <laughs> It's it's still the same thing, but it's a different medicine, but yeah. it's just rebranded. I don't know. It, that's a strange Again, thing. Again, brand generic, right? Yes. And then um, lastly, the PPIs, which are like the Prilosec, the Nexium, and those kind of medicines that you can get over the counter. So those are kind of our pyramid. Um, a couple of ones that we left off that I feel like um, people may be familiar with and see those is Maalox, which actually is really nice because Maalox has the the acid neutralizer like a Tums, but it also has the Simethicone in it too. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get a two for one with that, which is really nice. So, and the nice thing about Maalox, well, there's it's a nice slash bad thing. So the bad thing is, is it tastes disgusting. Um, but the nice thing is, is that it is that liquid. And so it does kind of like coat your stomach a little bit. Um, so if you're having like, you know, just kind of that cramps with heartburn, um, which can definitely happen. Maalox is honestly a good option for you. You just kind of have to hold your nose and knock it back (laughs) um, because it it does taste really nasty. It's just that kind of like chalky, like thick white stuff that's just kind of nasty going down. And then Pepto, forgot about Pepto. Mm -hmm. How can we forget about Pepto? (laughs) All the commercial, nausea, heartburn, indigestion, upset stomach, diarrhea, Pepto fixes everything according to the um, commercial. Um, But I don't know that that's true in real life. (laughs) But it does help a lot of people love Pepto. So a few Mm -hmm. things with Pepto-Bismol. Dr. Fan made a good point. You cannot give it to anyone under one. Mm -hmm. Um, It does have an aspirin component to it. So you have to be careful with that. The other thing to note about Pepto is it can turn your stools really dark. Um, We'll have people come into the hospital or to the clinic worried about blood in their stools and I always ask well have you taken new Pepto-Bismol and you wouldn't believe how many times that happens so just know some some things Pepto can do is some it can change a few things it can make your stools dark um, but you do have to be careful with who can take it but it Mm -hmm. I mean some people think it works really well kind of almost some people might feel like it coats too for them yeah yeah especially the liquid version they do have a pill now which I feel like is a little bit more tolerable so Well, we've got a couple of callers on the line, so let's go to Emily, who's in Brookhaven. Good morning, Emily. Hey. Um, so I just wanted to share a trick that I learned when I was pregnant. I don't know if it works for everybody, but uh, but I, I read that your stomach drains to the left. And so I started, I started laying on my left side um, when I was pregnant, and it really did curb all of that acid reflux. So I also got rid of carbonated beverages, including carbonated water. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure, carbonation. Well, that makes sense. I mean, the way that the anatomy is, it, it would flow to the left. I mean, it kind of goes down and then to the left. Um, so I guess that just kind of helps move things along because, I mean, the longer things stay in the stomach, then the more nausea and the chance for it to come up. So mm-hmm. I've never heard that before, but that totally makes sense now that you say that. But, I mean, it did. It worked, and it helped. It helped keep that acid reflux at bay. I mean, it took about a week of, of laying on my left side, but it did. After that, it started. I've never had any other problems with acid reflux. Hmm. Well, that's a that's a new trick that I have not heard of. So, thanks for sharing that with us. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. Um, we'll go next to Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. Oh, uh, good morning. What's... Uh, I just want to know 
why your blood pressure drops below 100 on top and it gets down kind of low on the bottom. Uh, is that uh, when you dehydrate and not drink enough water? It definitely can. Um, so depending, you may be over-medicated. That's probably the number one reason when people get low blood pressure. It's just because we've over-medicated them, trying to figure out which one uh, work, regimen works best. But then the next reason is probably volume issues. So that can be a couple of different things. That can be um, getting dehydrated and having low volume because you're dehydrated and not enough fluid. Um, it could be because you're anemic. Um, and if you're anemic, then you don't have enough volume. And then that can also cause your blood pressure to be a little bit lower. And then there's some other things like, you know, say maybe your heart isn't working as well. Then your heart's not pumping as well and your blood pressure is going to be a little bit lower. So there's lots of different things. But I would say the two biggest reasons are over medicating and low volume, whether that be from dehydration, not a lot of fluids or anemia. Those are probably two of the bigger ones we think about. Well, uh, like, uh, you know, you get up and use the bathroom like every two hours. Uh, does that dehydrate you? Not necessarily, as long as, I mean, if you're going to the bathroom every two hours, I hope it's because you've been drinking enough that's making your body go to the bathroom. Um, and so in that case, no, your blood, that shouldn't cause a problem. Okay. Now, All if right, yeah, thank you. If if you're, I was gonna say like we see that a lot um, in men too, because men have prostate issues as they get older, and it help makes them where they can't empty their bladder, and so they do go to the bathroom a lot. That usually doesn't cause a problem, um, and it. I mean, I guess we could theoretically you know dehydrate you a little bit with diuretics but if you're eating and drinking appropriately even a diuretic medicine that we're giving you shouldn't dehydrate you um which makes you go to the bathroom i guess i should have said that the diuretics make you go to the bathroom so if you're eating and drinking appropriately even being on a medicine that we're giving you to make you go to the bathroom shouldn't dehydrate you if that makes sense hopefully that was helpful uh, when it drops low, like that, and we'll drink, start drinking more water, and it, and uh, it'll pull it back. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you're exactly right. So, yeah, it may be that you just need to increase how much water you're taking. Are you on blood pressure medicines? Yes, I am. You see, so you uh, may. I, I, I take three different kinds. My husband takes one. And uh, both of us had that trouble every once in a while. Yeah, so you may want to talk to your doctor about that and because you, you may be getting too much medicine. So sometimes what happens is, you know, when you come to the doctor and just with all the stress of coming to the doctor, walking into the clinic, if we don't let you rest long enough checking your blood pressure, a lot of times people's blood pressures are a little bit higher at the doctor. And so if we go based off of what your blood pressure is at our clinic, then we can sometimes be a little more aggressive with your blood pressure medicine. So we always like to know what it's running at home in your normal setting because you may not need that much blood pressure. It may just be your blood pressure is a little bit higher when you go to the doctor. Um, so you need to make sure you let your doctor know what it's running at home because it sounds like you may need your medicines adjusted. Oh, okay. But thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for calling. We appreciate it. And we'll go next to Mikey and Mobile. Good morning, Mikey. Hey, good morning. Um, uh, I, I have a, well, a question regarding a me medication that I just tried for a couple of days, 
and uh, laid off of it because it does say it's a quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-I-T-I-N. Quercetin? Quercetin. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Quercetin. Thank you for, I didn't know, I don't know how to say doctor stuff. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is uh, 500 milligrams of quercetin, right? And mm-hmm. 50 milligrams of zinc included. Um, uh, now, it does say on the, uh, this is an over-the-counter thing, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I usually don't take things like this, but I had a couple of other indirect kind of hints from pl- other places, shall we say, and so when I saw this and saw it on sale, of course, I went, I'll go ahead and give it a try. Why not, you know? Um, uh, and uh, I tried it for a couple of days, and the first day I thought, because it says it's anti-inflammatory, and I thought, wow, this is amazing, man. I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like I've been kind of have the long COVID thing. And this was the best I'd felt in months <laughs> that first day. But the second day, um, uh, it, it's, uh, I took the, the it, you know, it recommends one dosage each day. I think that's a little too much for me, which gets, gets me to the real point I'm trying to make here in asking um, because the pills are so large, they almost choke me. Now, I've been told that um, and read that um, uh, as, we, as we ladies age, um, sometimes our throats become narrower, and it's more difficult for us to handle horse pills, <laughs> as I call them. Uh, my, qu- my big question is, can I take these capsules and break them down without destroying the medicinal value. Uh, You said it was a capsule or is it a tablet? It's a capsule. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe I could take, break it in half and and, uh, sprinkle some in some liquid and just swallow it that way. But I I also, yeah, I mean, I know things have got to be absorbed. Some's got to be in the stomach. Some's got to be in the intestines, yada, da, da, da. Um, Would that, as a general rule, can you do that with these tablets that are so large? I, I mean, I don't really take anything else, but with any, if I need to. Yeah, I would say um, with tablets, generally, it's like if they have like a score or a line down the middle, sometimes it's okay. But the biggest thing that I would be careful with is some medicines have like long acting components or like they have a coating that like slow releases things and so like kind of getting to your worry of like messing up the value of the medication i probably and i understand there are definitely some pills out there that are very large but i probably if something comes in like a liquid gel or something like that i probably wouldn't break it open um and like sprinkle it on on anything just for the worry that it might um change the absorption and how you absorb the medication now, if it's like the if it's a capsule that has like some sprinkles in it, sometimes especially for kids, because a lot there's some medicines out there like I'm thinking of clindamycin, yeah. the antibiotic, or one of the ADHD medicines. Yeah, yeah. One of the, so they um, so for clindamycin, the liquid is is nasty, and sometimes you have to take like a really large amount. And so even if our kids can't swallow the capsule, a lot of times we'll open up the capsule with the sprinkles. Mm-hmm. But even then, you have to take it all in one bite because right. if you bite into those sprinkles, then it messes with the way the body absorbs yeah. the medicine and the medicine won't work. So there are some certain situations where we'll say it's okay to break open a capsule. But like Dr. Fan was saying, if it's got the liquid in there, that's probably not a good idea. If it's got the sprinkles, potentially, but you can't bite the sprinkles. You have to like completely swallow them, which can be a little tricky. So, eh. Overall, yeah. wouldn't really recommend yeah. it. Um, 
But it looks like the Corsid, and I was just looking it up, um, actually does come in tablets, too. So you may just want to try to find it. And they look like pretty tiny tablets about the size of, like, an Advil. Um, so you may just want to find that. And there is also a liquid version, too. So if you have trouble swallowing that, you may want to look into another one of those. Corsidin is... Um, a medicine in the antihistamine family, which mm-hmm. we were going to get to, but I want to finish our GI one because I, yeah. there's a few that I wanted yeah. to get to before. And we've talked a lot about antihistamines on yeah. here. Um, but the nice thing about the coracetin is, is it, and it's labeled this way and marketed this way, that it shouldn't affect your blood pressure as much, mm-hmm. um, which is nice. And it doesn't have... I mean, it's still got an antihistamine in it, um, but it doesn't have some of the other um, decongestant medicines and things like that that may raise your blood pressure, make you feel a little bit worse. So that is the nice thing about the coracetin. But but thanks for your call, Mikey. We appreciate it. And hopefully that was helpful. But in general, let's try not to break anything unless you've talked to your doctor and they've they've cleared it. So. Um, so we'll continue talking about GI medicines and kind of going back because we talked a lot about the heartburn medicines, but some medicines that a lot of people don't like to ask questions about. So maybe we can answer some of those questions here um, is laxatives and antidiarrheal medicines, because for some reason, people don't like to talk about their constipation or their diarrhea. <laughs> and it's fine. You know, I guess it's more of a cultural thing that people that's kind of a taboo topic, but yeah. it happens to everybody at some point, um, just like we talked about heartburn everybody at some point is going to experience heartburn at some point you're probably going to get constipated or you may have diarrhea so what can you do about those medicine what can you do about that first i'm going to say about the diarrhea is if you've had like a stomach virus or something where you vomited a few times and then you start having diarrhea try to let it run its course before you jump straight to a diarrhea anti-diarrhea medicine and the reason being is because that's honestly our body's natural way of like fighting off the infection and i always say like getting it out of your body Mm -hmm. essentially is a good way to think of it so you know like for the first 24 hours just let it be Mm -hmm. Um, don't jump straight to an anti-diarrheal medicine if you can um, but if after 24 hours it's still persistent, it's probably fine to go grab an anti-diarrhea medicine, which the most common one would be Imodium. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so if you, I don't know if you want to elaborate on that one a little bit. I feel like in terms of, I would agree in terms of um, like using it, like I would kind of limit um, how much you use it. But in terms of like how it works and all that, I think it, it basically stops you up and so that you don't go to the bathroom anymore. So um, I feel like, like you said, I would kind of let it run its course as best as you can. And this is for, I feel like just emergencies or emergent situations. Cause I feel like the one time I thought of someone using it is like they were getting on a flight and they really needed something so that they didn't have to keep running. But um, again, I feel like I don't recommend it often personally. So um, I don't know if you, I feel like it's just for emergencies. For, yeah, you yeah. try not to use it unless you have to. I mean, there, like I said, there's certain situations after, yeah. you know, after 24, 36 hours of an illness and you're still having issues, that's totally yeah. fine um, to go in and take it. But you want to try to let it run its course so that you don't have to jump straight to that. And Imodium is the most common one over the counter. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can actually take a decent amount of it. Um, just read the directions on the yes. box. Uh, but you can take it, and then a few hours later, if you you haven't stopped you can take another round of it um but you again you just want to make sure you're reading the label and taking it appropriately mm-hmm. and not overusing it yes um 
The other thing about Imodium is we do not recommend it in little ones. I think the earliest you can take it is two years old. Um, So under two, we do not recommend giving Imodium. So even if your little one gets a virus um, and they're having diarrhea and you go and take you some Imodium, try to avoid it in your little ones um, until they get to be at least age two. Now, say you have this problem with chronic diarrhea and you've tried the Imodium and you're still having issues, then you want to talk to your doctor because there are some prescription strength anti-diarrheal medicines, mm-hmm. um, but we really try to reserve those for only certain situations. So you can try the Imodium over the counter, should be fine, but again, you just don't want to take too much of it because it can really stop you up. Yeah. <laughs> and if you take it, like, you know, two rounds of it just because you have like a little stomach virus, it may be you know, four or five days before you have another bowel movement. So you just want to be careful with that. Okay, so the opposite constipation, because this is probably the more common one. Um, We get questions all the time about what can you use to make you go to the bathroom? I'll tell you, my favorite is Miralax. Miralax. Um, Just because it's the easiest and the most gentle. Mm -hmm. Um, So Miralax is the powder, you know, that you mix with your drink. Yep. Yeah. So explain how Miralax works and maybe why it's not, it's kind of the most gentle laxative. It, I feel like it just takes everything and just bulks it up and it moves it out of your body. So I think that's, um, like you said, the most gentle because it's just kind of collecting all the things and putting them together and just helping it kind of facilitate its way out on its kind of, I feel like almost its own schedule. Yeah. (laughs) So I would say that's probably why it's the safest. And to be honest, um, I've never heard that you could really take too much. No, yeah. That's what we were always told. You can't overdose on Miralax. That's what I would say, too. I mean, I don't recommend going and drinking a whole bottle of it. But um, technically, I've always been told technically you can't overdose on it. And the other thing about Miralax, we use it in babies. Yep. And we use it all the way to our elderly patients. So anybody and everybody can take Miralax. Now, if you have a baby that's having constipation, talk to your doctor about the appropriate Mm -hmm. dosing for the Miralax. But we can use it in little babies, which is nice. So I think the other thing, too, is keeping consistent. It takes a little bit longer to work, which is probably why some people don't like it. Um, you got to stay consistent. If it's like a daily thing, you, you actually got to do it daily for it to work. Otherwise, it, it can't find its, you know, its partners in your GI to kind of form together to come out of your body. So you, you just got to take it uh, consistently. Yeah. Um, the next one would be in milk mag is another one I feel like that yeah. we use a pretty good bit in our uh-huh. kids. So it's safe in little ones and mm-hmm. it's safe all the way through elderly patients. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a little bit more of a stimulant yes. laxative. So, yes. so the Miralax more, it works more as like what we call an osmotic laxative. Like she was yeah. saying, it kind of sucks all the water out and helps move things along. Whereas the milk mag gets you going and that's the same thing with like docusate senna all of those and so with those you just have to be careful because it'll make you cramp yeah because it's like getting you going but it makes you it gets you going yeah, the mineral oil too yes yeah, yeah. so you just want to be careful because those are going to make you cramp so if to me if you need a laxative miralax is going to be your choice it's the safest, safest option and it's the most gentle option and it's not going to make you cramp and feel bad so so hopefully those were helpful. Um, if there was something we missed, you can always send us an email, kids at mpvonline.org. Thanks, Dr. Fan, for coming yeah, on. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everybody, for calling. We appreciate it. This has been Southern Remedy, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.